Hi, it's your host, Kayla Waters, and I'm alone today, but that's okay because I'm bringing you your weekly deep dive into a true crime case. And our goal here is always to advocate for victims through talking to survivors, experts, and victim families whenever we can. And make sure to always keep your ears open at the end of every episode when we highlight an organization that you can get involved with in a fight against violent crime. know what jealousy is, right? While it's not the best emotion to feel, it's one that's completely normal, one that every person on this planet will experience at some point in their lives. But this is an emotion that can overtake some people, one that can become really severe or really irrational. And when it gets to that point, it's extremely unhealthy and negative. And this case today will show you just how bad it can be. When jealousy overtakes someone to the point that it leads to paranoia and violence. With that, are you ready for today's case? So it's September 21st, 2012, when Erica Freeman starts sensing that something's off. Her boyfriend, Christian Aguilar, hasn't been texting her back or answering her phone calls. She's confused because since the duo had started dating, they had been joined at the hip, spending as much time as they could together. Erica described her relationship with Christian as something you don't find every day. It was rare. This pair was besties. They just clicked, and they were madly in love. Christian was never out of touch with her, so this was weird. And Erica decides to make her way over to the University of Florida campus. Christian was a freshman there and lived on campus in a dorm. Erica just wants to stop by and see if he made it home that night. Maybe his phone was dead or broken. Erica is also a college freshman at this time, but not at the University of Florida. She actually attended Santa Fe Community College, but both colleges are there in Gainesville, Florida, so she could just make a quick trip over to Christian's dorm before heading home herself since the schools are near each other. So she stops, but Christian isn't in his dorm, and that worry starts to become more intense. He's not home, he's not answering his phone, and he's not responding to messages. So after calling a few mutual friends to see if they had any contact with Christian, Erica gives up for the night. No one has heard from him, but she's hoping it's all just a huge misunderstanding. Maybe Christian did tell her that he had something to do and she forgot. Maybe he was studying at a friend's place. So Erica tries to calm her racing thoughts and just get some sleep. Although she doesn't rest much because she's up all night concerned, checking her phone as each hour passes. And by the morning, Erica finds out that Christian never returned to his dorm. And still, none of their friends have heard from him. She's like, okay, enough is enough. I have to do something. So she calls one of her and Christian's mutual friends at 4 a.m. on September 22, 2012. This friend is Pedro Bravo. 
Christian and Pedro had actually hung out the day before, the last day that Christian had been seen, and the boys had grown up together and were best friends. So Erica thought he would be the perfect person to accompany her to the police station to report Christian as missing especially because all three of them are out in Gainesville, Florida for college, far from home with no family nearby to help them navigate this. They had to be there for each other while searching for their buddy. And when Erica first talks to Pedro, she's asking him if he's talked to Christian since they hung out. And he's like, nope, we hung out for a few hours. We did a couple things around town and I dropped him off near this auto body shop. He should have headed home soon after that. And Erica's heart drops when she hears this. The auto body shop is just a few miles outside of the University of Florida's campus, and it's a not-so-great area. The first thought that comes to Erica's mind is the vast homeless community in Gainesville. She worries that had Christian run across the wrong crowd on his trek back to his dorm, he could be in danger. So she tells Pedro that she thinks they need to go to the police department right away. Maybe an officer can assist them in their search for Christian, especially through that area of town. And Pedro agrees. It's best that they get law enforcement involved as soon as possible. So the two friends meet up and they head to the police station together. By this point, Erica has called Christian's parents, Carlos and Claudia Aguilar, and immediately they're concerned. They have those same thoughts as Erica that this is just not like their son, to ignore calls, to not go home for the night. And the Arguilar family wastes no time. They hop right into their car and they start the five-hour road trip to Gainesville. And Christian's little brother, Alex, was with his parents during this drive. And he says to Dateline that this was the most silent car ride he had ever been on. Everyone's thoughts silently racing inside their own minds, just hoping for the best. Alex was praying his older brother was just passed out after a party, or maybe he even got into a minor car accident. They would find him. He's fine. Meanwhile, in Gainesville, Pedro and Erica drive to the police station and they're met by a woman. Erica is frantic, telling this officer, my boyfriend's missing. I can't get a hold of him. He might be in this dangerous part of town. He never came home last night. We need help. But instead of being met with compassion or kindness, Erica tells Dateline that this woman laughed in her face. She's completely taken back and appalled, angrily thinking to herself that this lady better hope nothing bad really did happen to Christian. Because how stupid would she feel then, laughing in his friends' faces about their concern for him? Thankfully, after this gross encounter, Officer Tim Peck takes over, and he starts to talk with Christian's friends. Erica tells Officer Peck about the previous night, how she tried to get a hold of Christian, and how she even went by his dorm with no luck of locating him. And Pedro talks about his time with Christian earlier that day. When the boys first meet up, they head to the infirmary there on the campus together because Christian needs his flu shot. So they figure they might as well get that out of the way first and then they can go on with their day. After that, they go together to Pedro's car, which he had parked there on campus at the University of Florida to meet up with Christian. Pedro didn't attend the University of Florida. He actually attended the nearby Santa Fe Community College, that same school Erica went to. From there, the friends drove to Best Buy, looked around for a bit, and then headed back to Pedro's car to run more errands around town. Pedro explains to Officer Peck that shortly after leaving the Best Buy parking lot, they actually pick up a hitchhiker. 
Now it's Pedro, Christian, and a hitchhiker just driving around town, and the friends start bickering. Pedro explains it was nothing crazy, just a little argument, something totally normal between best friends. You know how when you're really close with someone, it's easy to get annoyed. You're comfortable enough to hash it out, and then things are fine. And this is one of those arguments. Well, the new hitchhiker friend wasn't a part of this little friend group, so he's like, I'm uncomfortable, I'm out of here, can you drop me off? So they do. But after this dude gets out of Pedro's car, Christian's still upset with the little verbal fight, so he tells Pedro, you know what, pull over and drop me off too. I'm walking the rest of the way back to my dorm to clear my head. And this is when Pedro drops Christian off in front of that auto body shop. From there, he grabs a McDonald's and heads straight home. Pedro is shaking while recounting the day to Officer Peck, telling him that he's devastated this was his last interaction with his best friend. He feels sort of this sort of survivor's guilt. Like, had he not dropped Christian off in that part of town, would he still be missing right now or would he be okay? And it does concern Officer Peck that Christian was dropped off in front of that auto body shop. He doesn't have the same concerns as Erica about the homelessness surrounding that shop, but he was worried about this area because it was known for drug and gang activity. Could Christian have been caught in the wrong place, wrong time? possibly. So the search is on. Officer Peck starts working with Officer Randy Roberts of the Gainesville Police Department. And Officer Roberts now starts questioning Pedro himself, while other officers start canvassing each area that Pedro described. The auto body shop, Best Buy, the University of Florida campus. So during Officer Roberts' interrogation, Pedro explains that little argument they got in before Christian was asking him to drop him off, and this whole argument is over some girl from high school. And this piques Officer Roberts' interest, and he asks, was this argument over Erica? But Pedro's like, no, no, this is over some other girl in high school that Christian had a crush on for like three years. He poured his heart out to her and it didn't work out. And I made some comment about it. So he got mad and he wanted out of the car. But are we sure that Pedro wasn't talking about Erica? Because Erica didn't just meet Christian out there in Gainesville while attending her freshman year of college. No, Erica met Christian through Pedro because these three went to high school together, and Pedro was Erica's ex-boyfriend, her high school sweetheart, if you will. So Erica Freeman, Pedro Bravo, and Christian Aguilar all attended Doral Academy Charter School. This is near Miami, Florida. It's about a five-hour drive from their colleges in Gainesville. And this was a school for high-achieving kids, students that were academically focused and driven. All three of them were incredibly smart and had huge aspirations. Erica worked hard, and so did Pedro. He was sort of the class clown, and he excelled in drawings, deeming himself some sort of artist. But through school, they these two did a lot of focusing on each other, too. They had gotten into a serious relationship through these high school years, and Pedro gained an unhealthy obsession with Erica. There were times throughout high school that she would try to break up with him, but it just wasn't working. He pushed her to stay with him. He begged her to take him back. He pleaded with her to love him. And although she didn't feel like he was the person for her, she was usually guilted back into the relationship just because she felt bad for Pedro. 
And side note for everyone, this is a form of emotional abuse and it's manipulation. You might feel bad for a partner doing that to you, but that's their goal. It can cross a boundary, so be aware of this red flag. Anyway, once graduation comes, Eric goes off to Santa Fe College in Gainesville, and she saw this move as the perfect opportunity to break times ties with her longtime boyfriend. You see, Pedro wasn't originally supposed to be attending Santa Fe College alongside Erica. His plans were to stay back in Miami and take college classes there. However, soon after Erica and Christian leave for their separate colleges in Gainesville, Pedro decides to visit but he made what was supposed to be a temporary visit permanent. He does this when he decides to sign a lease while he's there and enroll in fall classes at Santa Fe College. Another big red flag in demonstrating how obsessive over Erica he really is becoming. He is literally uprooting his life and his plans just to follow her five hours away from where they all lived you know, in their hometowns at home in high school. So through all of this, Pedro is incessantly texting Erica, quote, it's not a joke. I came all this way and I miss you like crazy. And I love you despite everything that's happened. And maybe I'm stupid, but I can't help the feeling. And I'm so sorry. I'm so, so sorry. What do we do now? I don't want to push you or make you feel bad. Well, Pedro, if you don't want to push her, leave her alone and stop trying to force her to be with you. Now, we know Christian attended the University of Florida there in Gainesville. In fact, he was the only one of this little friend group that was accepted into this college. Christian was extremely motivated. He excelled in school beyond his peers. He just wanted to make his parents proud. Both his mom and his dad were Colombian immigrants from Cali, Colombia, who came to the United States to give their children better opportunities. And Christian was not going to take that for granted. His goal was to go for pre-med in college and ultimately become an engineer. Carlos and Claudia Aguilar had gotten married in October of 1992, and they had their two sons, Christian and Alex. Christian goes to school there in Miami, Florida, and then he's off to college in Gainesville, and he's the first of his parents' children to go to college. And in his first weeks of being far from home over there in Gainesville, him and Erica meet up. They had always been friends because he was friends with Pedro and Erica had dated Pedro, so they always kind of hung out around each other and it was comforting to have a friend from back home to hang out with while they're both navigating this new adult life. And it's not long before they realize they're falling for each other and the love they start building comes naturally. Even their first date just to Chick-fil-A was fun and magical. Erica was a bit shocked. The love of her life had been right in front of her for all these years. All of that time she had dated Pedro, they hung out with Christian. He's in their group for prom with his own date. He studied with them. He was always around. And now that she wasn't with Pedro anymore, she could see that Christian was her person. But as we just heard, Pedro made his own way to Gainesville. Erica wasn't stoked he was there, but... She was still friends with him, and he was one of Christian's best friends, so she would put up with him for now. Although both Erica and Christian knew that their newfound like love dating relationship would be this huge upset for Pedro, they decide you know they're going to keep going with it, but they're going to keep it a secret. 
The thing is, Pedro had been showing all these signs of extreme depression, and this all came after him and Erica's breakup. He didn't really hide the fact that he had this little obsession with her, and he also made these suicidal comments. For example, after going out with a group of friends, Pedro pays for the entire dinner bill, and when he's asked why he would do that, he because he has so much on his plate, he's already paying for his college classes, he says that he won't be needing the money anymore, like very, he won't be needing the money soon anyway. So everyone was really worried about his state of mind, but for now, they were all just going to walk on eggshells to spare Pedro's feelings. But it seems that somehow Pedro caught wind of the secret in those weeks leading up to Christian's disappearance, because he keeps asking Erica if she's dating Christian, but she's like, no, no, we're just friends. Pedro's worries read clear inside his journals where he writes in detail about his feelings. I will get Erica back. No one will stop me. I'm worried Erica will date Christian, but you're being irrational. They don't have that much time to talk. She's at Santa Fe. He's at university. They're both busy. Erica will be with me again. His journals are quite disturbing, screaming from the pages that his obsession may be turning dangerous. I want to give up everything to be with her again. So did Pedro find out that one of his best friends and his ex-girlfriend were keeping their relationship hidden from him? Well, after Officer Roberts questions Pedro down at the Gainesville Police Department, Pedro gives the okay for officers to search his car. And inside lies a little hint to this puzzle. Because while Pedro was straightforward about going to McDonald's after he claims to have dropped Christian off on the side of the road, He put himself at that McDonald's around 7 p.m., but there's a receipt laying in his car. It's from McDonald's, but it doesn't put Pedro at home and asleep the night of September 21st, 2012. It puts him at the McDonald's in the middle of the night, showing that his stop for food was actually at 12.54 a.m. on September 22nd, 2012, many hours later than when his story puts him there. Now, this information gives Officer Roberts a new leg to stand on. Pedro, why did you lie to me? Because you weren't at McDonald's at 7 p.m. You were there in the middle of the night. What happened during those five hours? And Pedro sighs. Okay, okay. I have to tell you something, but it's not what you're thinking. There's just, there's more to the story. Like, Christian and I just didn't get, like, he, Christian just didn't get out of my car without injury. You see, I said that thing about the girl from high school and he got so mad he tells me to kill myself. So then I just looked at him and I punch him in the face because he shouldn't be saying that. And then he's bleeding all over my car and that's when he got out. And Pedro acts like he just didn't tell the police this in his original story because he felt too bad now that his friend was missing. What an unfortunate last moment with your bestie. But police don't buy it. I mean, that's not even an explanation for why he says he's at McDonald's at 7 and then he's really not there till 1 a.m. But on top of that, stories don't usually change without reason. And lies are usually indication that there is more to the story than what has been discovered. On September 24th, 2021, just days after Christian is reported missing, police arrest Pedro on charges of depriving a victim of medical care. 
Basically, they're able to arrest him on that statement. He punches Christian in the face and then drops him off on the side of the road and leaves him there. This could have put Christian in direct danger, unable to make it to a hospital. I've never heard of this charge, but you know what? Do what you gotta do, and yes, depriving someone of medical care should be illegal, so I'm down for this. Now, the investigation continues, and it's during a search of Pedro's apartment that an eerie discovery is made. The Gainesville Police Department is turning over every inch of apartment 177. They're going through clothes, they're going under the bed, looking in cupboards, and then they come to a suitcase. An officer unzips that suitcase, and inside is a backpack. This backpack is determined to be Pedro's backpack, and now they zip the backpack open. And stuffed inside is Christian's black school backpack. Pedro has his missing friend's backpack hidden inside of his home. On top of all of this, investigators now start a more thorough search of Pedro's car. Yes, they had gone through it to find that McDonald's receipt, but that was just a quick search. And now this is an in-depth one. Crime scene technicians find human blood inside of Pedro's car. So just one week after Christian's disappearance, Pedro's charges are upgraded to first-degree murder. It's eventually confirmed that the blood inside the car did match Christian Aguilar. Through that entire ordeal, Christian's family and friends had been searching daily for him. When Pedro was arrested, Christian still hadn't been found. Carlos Aguilar states, quote, If we don't find Christian's body, unfortunately, Pedro can walk and I will not let that happen. Even with the charge of murder, there was no body. This left that small little space of hope inside of Christian's loved ones, although they did suspect the worst. It also meant that the prosecution would have a more difficult time proving their case. So searches continue. Police, volunteers, friends from the university, friends from home, they're all out looking for answers, trying to bring Christian home to his family. These volunteers became the Aguilar's second family, people they would be forever grateful for. And while Erica searches for the man who turned quickly from friend to lover, she ponders on the charges against her ex-boyfriend. It made her sick to her stomach. It was hard for her to wrap her mind around such a despicable thing, let alone that it could have been done by a friend of Christian's, especially Pedro, someone that was so smart, surely would not murder their friend over jealousy, right? But Erica was wrong. Envy is a dangerous feeling. Less than one month after Christian went missing, in the early weeks of October 2012, Christian Aguilar's body was discovered in Levy County, Florida. It was two men walking through a wooded area that make the discovery. They aren't a part of any of the searches. They're actually out hunting when their systems are shocked by what they never expected to see. Immediately, 911 is called and law enforcement makes their way to the scene. Officers see the remains have duct tape around the wrist, ankles, and neck. And once testing is completed, the, the remains are officially matched to Christian Arguilar, just as everyone had expected. Throughout the next two years, investigators make gruesome discoveries, solidifying their theory on this case. That Pedro Bravo killed a friend he grew up with due to extreme jealousy and an obsession over a love triangle. 
this murder was deemed to be premeditated, not just a crime of passion in the moment of that fight Pedro claimed took place. No, this was something Pedro went into intentionally. Starting on September 16, 2012, less than one week before Christian's murder, Pedro is making disturbing searches on the web. He's wondering what chloroform is or if rubbing alcohol can knock someone out. And he even searches what kind of murders get solved. From here, his devious plan must have been put into place because before Pedro meets up with Christian, he is caught on surveillance video inside a Walmart. Pedro is holding a shovel in this video that he actually bought from Lowe's before going into Walmart, which maybe I'm the only one confused by this, but like, why not leave the Lowe's shovel in your car while you go into Walmart? Like, I would actually feel weird taking an item into a store because then when I'm leaving, they might like think I'm stealing it. It probably means absolutely nothing. But for some reason, it's so weird to me, like very confused, but okay. Anyway, he's holding this low shovel while checking out at Walmart. And what he's purchasing there is a hunting knife, a sleep aid, and duct tape. That sleep aid tied into another thing crime scene techs found in the truck of Pedro's car. You know, that same car that had Christian's blood in it. Well, in the back of the car, there's an empty Gatorade bottle, but it's tested and it's determined to be coated in a mixture of Gatorade, a sleep aid, and an antihistamine, a concoction that would have made Christian fall into a deep sleep, possibly would have knocked him out. And that duct tape purchased was also found sitting under the windshield of Pedro's car. And there was a piece of duct tape taken off of Christian's ankle that investigators are able to match to being torn from the duct tape inside Pedro's car. Investigators also search Pedro's cell phone. It didn't give them bunches of information because he puts it on airplane mode for five hours, which suspicious on its own, but they were able to see that Pedro used the flashlight app on his cell phone for 45 minutes late that night. This is when police believe Pedro is discarding Christian's body in the spot that the hunters later discover him. At 1 a.m. on September 22nd, 2012, just after getting McDonald's, literally picked up food after killing his friend and getting rid of the body, Pedro pulls into a car wash and washes his car for the next 12 minutes. There are multiple other surveillance videos found, one of Christian and Pedro inside that Best Buy store, and then there's another in a Walmart parking lot. Investigators see Pedro's blue car pull up to a parking spot where it sits for a very long time, and then the car moves to a new parking spot, and it sits again. Police believe that it's during these times that the murder is taking place. And when Pedro pulls out of the parking lot that night, they believe Christian had already been killed. To really nail in the fact that Pedro knew about Erica and Christian's relationship before he murders Christian, police are able to find that Pedro logs into Christian's Facebook and email where he reads private messages between Christian and Erica. Which, how sick that, like, you are that close to someone. These two friends, they're that close that Pedro would even know or be able to guess the passwords for Christian's private social media and email. Like, what a betrayal. A friend this close that murders you. 
Two years later, in August of 2014, Pedro Bravo is brought into a courtroom at the Criminal Justice Center in Alachua County, there in Gainesville, Florida. The defense only believes they need one witness, and that is Pedro himself. All of the prosecution's evidence is painting a narrative that just isn't true. Pedro may have been depressed over this breakup with Erica, but he wasn't obsessed. That Gatorade bottle laced with drugs wasn't intended for Christian, it was for Pedro himself. The defense claims that Pedro drank this drink in this unsuccessful suicide attempt. Even those Google searches about chloroform and what murders are solved were all tied to the fact that Pedro wanted to take his own life. I mean, that makes no sense to me. Maybe you can say that with the chloroform. Maybe you can say that with the does rubbing alcohol knock someone out. But I don't see how what murders are solved ties in with researching about taking your own life. It just doesn't correlate for me. And another great part of the defense is that shovel. It wasn't intended for a murder. Pedro had just bought it so that he could dig his own grave before taking his own life. Again, absurd. So let's just hope the jury is rolling their eyes through this story. And while Pedro's on the stand, he also tells the jury that he was heartbroken from the breakup. And that's the only reason he was hanging out with Christian that day. This was one of the friends he could really talk to about his pain. But that day led to a regrettable fight. This is when Pedro looks at the jury and tells them the story he told Officer Rogers about how Christian told him to kill himself and Pedro punches him. But Pedro adds a bit to the story, saying that he then pulled over the car and the fight moves to the middle of the street. And that's where Pedro leaves Christian, telling the jury he was still moving and breathing, but not getting up when Pedro drives off. Pedro's attorney then asks if he regrets this decision. And he says, quote, I feel like I'm going to regret this for the rest of my life. And I don't think Pedro is really talking about this fake fight, because if you haven't caught the drift, there was no hitchhiker picked up. There was no fight. Pedro murdered Christian. And I do feel like when he says this with tears in his eyes, he is really thinking he maybe regrets what he did, but he can't take it back now. So Pedro's whole defense is basically what I just summed up. While the prosecution puts forward all the evidence I've relayed to you through this episode, the prosecution had brought forward 50 witnesses, including their star witness, Erica Freeman, and a jailhouse informant, Michael Charles Angelo. Michael made a deal with the prosecution to testify against Pedro for a more lenient sentence, so we know juries always sort of take that with a grain of salt. But Michael tells the jury an alarming story of how Pedro slips a bag of chips to him, and this bag of chips contains a note. He does this while they're in jail together, and this note was shown on the episode of Dateline titled A Circle of Friends, so I would like to believe investigators gather the actual note and it was a part of the evidence, but that wasn't exactly said, so I can't be for sure. 
basically, this is a note where Pedro is asking Michael to contact someone on the outside. So someone not incarcerated, and he wants them to commit a few murders for him. Pedro writes that it has to be three to four people who are murdered, and they can be random, but his preference is that two of them are University of Florida students, and Pedro wants them tased so they can be taken down, and then he wants them strangled before having their hands tied up with duct tape. Michael is testifying that Pedro was plotting to have more people murdered in order to push the narrative that he didn't kill Christian. It was actually a serial killer. On that note, the jury goes to deliberate and only takes four hours to come to a decision, finding Pedro Bravo guilty of murder in the first degree of Christian Aguilar. Pedro is sentenced to life without the possibility of parole, regardless of his pleas for leniency on the statement that he knows he didn't kill Christian and God knows in his heart what he did. And you're right, Pedro. He does know what you did, and so do we. You murdered one of your lifelong friends over an obsession with a girl you basically stalked, following her all the way to Gainesville. You took Christian's life from him, a life that would have always shined brighter than yours. And in the process, you ruined your own family's life, Erica's life, and the lives of Christian's family and all those who loved him. Who the hell do you think you are that you feel so entitled to take the life of someone who trusted you, all in an effort to win back the girl who never wanted you? Claudia Aguilar was more graceful than me in addressing her son's murderer after learning that Pedro received a life sentence. Quote, Today in my heart, thanks to God, there is no room in my heart for hate and revenge. Christian Aguilar was gifted, intelligent, and charismatic. He felt deeply and he was able to at least experience a rare and true love with his soulmate. He found something in his short time here on this earth that not everyone is able to find. He was happy and he would have done so much good in this world with his degree. His family will never go one day without thinking of him and missing his presence in their lives. It's a hole that will never be able to be filled. After the trial, Christian's family visits the area where his body was found. This place actually becomes a special place to them, and they wanted to make it a place where people who loved Christian could go and visit. Quote, For all our family, this is a special place. This is the last place where Christian rested that he was complete in flesh. On October 12, 2013, the University of Florida held a one-year remembrance and memorial service for Christian. The College of Engineering there at the university presented Christian's parents with a extremely special gift, and it was a memoriam degree honoring Christian's dream of becoming an engineer. Christian's family used their grief to create a nonprofit called the Christian Aguilar Search and Rescue Foundation, and this is a foundation that supports the use of canine-assisted searches when looking for a missing person. On top of that, they had also partnered with the Missing Children Global Network for a new app called the Christian Aguilar Mobile Alert, which was meant to help locate missing people. However, I did have a hard time finding exact sites for the Aguilar's organization. There wasn't an app I could find today in 22 for that mobile alert. I know the search and rescue organization ran for at least a couple of years as they participated in events for missing children and assisted in searches for other missing people. They did good work. 
And instead of highlighting a separate foundation today at the end of this episode, I'm putting a call out here. If you're able to find out if this organization is still running and where we can donate to help it continue on, please email us at truecrimeexposed at gmail.com. There's a few Facebook pages you can find where Christian's dad, Carlos, still posts to this day just little things, helps share other homicide flyers or missing persons flyers. So I highly encourage you to go find those and never forget Christian Aguilar. I'm Charlie Waters, and today I'm going to be talking about a palate cleanser. And today I'm going to be talking about hair. Do you know how it grows? It grows from a root at the bottom of a follicle under your skin. So there's blood in your scalp, and it travels to the follicle, supplying the hair root with oxygen. When your hair grows, it pushes through your skin. Bye. Have a great day. You know I love you if you're listening. I'm your host, Kayla Waters, and I research, write, host, and edit this podcast. My co-host is Alicia Jenkins, and our palate cleanser giver is Charlie Waters. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter, and visit our website, truecrimeexposedpodcast.com. You can also email me anytime if you want to chat, if you want to leave a case suggestion, if you are an expert or a survivor that wants to be a part of the podcast. Or if you're a family member or a loved one that knows someone who needs their story told, please make sure to get in contact with us at our email, truecrimeexposed at gmail.com.